go. Good morning. Oh, damn, it gets me every time. <laughs> All right, guys. Good morning, good evening, wherever, whatever time it is. We would like to welcome you back to a brand new episode of Things We're Obsessed stuff. With. It's stuff I, we're obsessed with. You, you got just let us know down in the comments which one things are stuff. You know, it's too it's, late. It's like I already made too many logos with that word stuff, and I can't change it now. I mean, I can, but I don't want to. It's like rebranding the whole thing. And you know, do you know what Wendy said when they rebranded? What? Goodbye, goodbye, Ginger. <laughs> but <laughs> welcome to this brand new episode. We are actually going to be talking about something so cool today. Um, if any of you actually, can... actually, fun f- fun fact for you, Ooh. we're probably going to be doing four or five episodes because I'm still not done with the research. Uh, guys, this is going to be a five-parter uh, like they're doing with every Hollywood movie now ever since Harry <laughs> Potter. This so, is our franchise. Yeah, yeah, this is our franchise. <laughs> um, welcome to, speaking of, that's a great segue into Joseph M- Mengele. Mengele, <laughs> yeah, Mengele. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, actually, there's very ways you can say, you can say Mengele, Mangala. Oh, just like I say, Jose, with my awesome co-host, my Glaglo Bavlado, <laughs> Jose Glaglo, and my beautiful crippled. Um, I, was, I can't drop the N word. What? Who says you can't? I was gonna say nerd, but you know my beautiful co-host, Isaiah Aaron. Oh my yeah! Oh my god! Okay, are you ready? Okay, so let me for, ask you first. Do you know anything about Mengel Mengala? So you actually sent me something for it, and as I was five minutes in, I was like, I want to be surprised by this episode. So I paused it, and then now that we've talked about it since before recording right now about four times, the anticipation has built. Well, it's going to deliver, let me tell you. Okay, so are you ready to dive into this? Oh, we're more than ready to dive into it. Are, are, wait, hold on. We just need to ask them, are they ready to dive into oh, it? Oh, they have to be. They have no choice. That's why they're here. I, I feel like we don't engage when we're doing... I feel like we engage with one another, but we have to engage with our imaginary 12 people that watch this every month. It's five. <laughs> I mean, 13. See, I was going to say, I saw I saw, I saw, saw 12 or 13 once. On a good day, it could be 15. Hey, to you extra two stragglers that come in and they're like, <laughs> wow... There is a gay person in a black handicap. I want to know what this is about. And they're talking about Nazis. <gasps> if you get offended about us talking about Nazis, are they the Nazis? Oh, probably. I don't know. Either way. Either way. But this way, let's just segue and dive into these murky, dark, horrible waters that is the life of Joseph Mengele. So... In this series, we're not going to be exploring the whole history of the Third Reich, but rather we're going to be focusing more on one of the perpetrators of its evil. Joseph Mengele has become a symbol of the evils of the Third Reich. Its pursuit of racial superiority through medical experiments. I want to guide you, the listeners, through the life of Mengele the same way as any serial killer of any renown. For that is what Mengele truly was. A serial killer. Through the barbaric methods, Mengele enacted horrific acts on children, especially twins, the Romani, and the disabled. When Mengele went out on the oh, run... Pause you really quick. 
Go did ahead. You the, did you say the disabled my people? Yeah, yeah. He he killed the disabled people. Yeah, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> but I wish I was born then. Do me a favor. All right, go ahead. <laughs> bitch me. <laughs> me. Look at this. Look at this body. <laughs> Rock that body. Come on. I can do the little dancey dance. <laughs> Oh hey guys, God. this is why we're going to hell with Megalo. It helps. It helps. <laughs> when when Megalo when Mengala went on the run, rumors filled the news about his possible involvement in experiments of natives from South America to have yeah. associated with dictators and of his many escapes leaving behind a tra trail of bodies of Israeli agents and Nazi hunters. What is true about the legend of Mengele is that he successfully stayed on the run for 35 years from the moment he left Auschwitz. After coming very close several times with being captured, he still managed to find a way out. Luck always stuck close to the man called the Angel of Death, for, that, for it was his smiling face that millions of Jews, Romani, homosexuals, and other prisoners of war saw when they crossed through the gates of Auschwitz. The understanding of studying the, the life of Mengele is a look into a story of anger and despair. Not only that Mengele avoided any sort of punishment for his crimes, his sentence was not inside of a prison, but always on the run and always far away from his fatherland that he so proudly wanted to reshape in the image of his masters. No, the real tragedy in the study of the life of Mengele is how many were robbed from the chance to find their justice and the failure of the governments of West Germany, Israel, and the United States in their pursuit of Mengele while he was still alive. That was the intro. Ooh, saucy. <laughs> I just, I rewrote it like before we started. It was like, so yeah. yeah. Is that um, what you were doing? Yeah, part of part of the reason where the the while the computer was updating the app because we were using Zoom, um, I was also like finishing the reintro because I wrote something else I didn't like it, and then I felt I was like I'm, I'm inspired. I need to write something. Um, so the main source of for this story comes from the book Mengele, the complete his the complete story written by Gerald uh, Posner and John Ware, mm -hmm. with additional in, uh, info from several other sources, which are Auschwitz, a doctor's eyewitness account by Dr. Miklos Nihisli, and he was Mengele's uh, personal pathologist in Auschwitz. We're going to talk more about him in part two. Uh, for added help and for my own dark sanity, I also read Doctors from Hell, the horrific accounts of Nazi experiments on human, written by Vivian Splitz. I also watch a bunch of other YouTube videos and several other documentaries, which are too many to name, to get my head really into this. So it, this is why it's probably going to be five parts. Well, five's in, uh, you know, an uneven number. May as well just do six at that point. I mean, I, I don't want to, but it might. But no, it's just going to be five. It's probably just going to be five. Okay. And here, officially, we begin our dive into the life of Mengele.
Now, we're about to dive into the story of the life of Joseph Mengele. But like I, I said at the beginning, the whole point of looking into the life of Mengele or how I want us to explore it than this little journey that we're taking um, is to focus on him like any other serial killer. But like unlike other serial killers, he never had a traumatic head wound. And as far as we know, he never wet the, the bed. Um, the most traumatic injury he ever had was he kind of almost drowned in a rain barrel when he was a kid. But again, that's nothing. But yeah, maybe. Um, I did told you that he he started his whole crazy killing psych, cycle doctor career at 32, which is pretty young for someone who's snaps and starts doing all of this. Yeah, he ain't got nothing on um, uh, Jack the Ripper. Well, personally. we don't know exactly the age of Jack the Ripper. So, we do know Dahmer, for example. Dahmer started at uh, 17, 18? 18. Yep. When he killed the first goon. Yeah, we're calling that. By the way, we're not doing a Dahmer episode. Yeah, we, we will at some point. At some point. At some point. But let's start with our the oldies. It, true, he is a gold star. He is a gold star. So, as I said, Joseph Mengele was born in March 16th, 1911, which makes him a Pisces. So, which is kind of sad because that also makes him, me and him, compatible as best friends. Yeah. <laughs> he was the <laughs> eldest of three sons. His parents were Cal and Walburga Mengele. Uh, the first child before Joseph was uh, was born was stillborn, so died. Uh, jo- well, what? Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> Sleep well, King. <laughs> Joseph grew up a devout Catholic, uh, which is very interesting because normally uh, Nazis, uh, when they were subscribe when they were inscribing themselves, when they put their religion, they just put believer in God. They didn't put a specific faith. Joseph Mengele, unlike many other Nazis, the, uh, specified himself as a Catholic. Which, you know, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, over time, the family began to accumulate uh, some money in a, very, in a very short amount of time. So by 1907, Karl Mengele went into a partnership for, uh, fixing farming machines uh, with a friend or a uh, friend and mechanic called Andreas Eisenlau. It's, it's, it's interesting to note that several of the factories in which they had they they had burned down over the next several years. Uh, and the insurance, Carl Mengele collected it. His father doing insurance scams. That's teaching his son right. It, it, <laughs> Your son. I think it's when I was researching this and I was listening to other people talking about the story. No one ever like said anything odd about that it was like oh yeah no some factories burned down and he collected the insurance money i'm like like really you're not gonna think that's weird yeah you know what i mean everybody's (laughs) so creative (laughs) so with the insurance money carl bought a piece of land where he rebuilt the business two years later eisenlau withdrew from the partnership because he became ill and left Carl in charge. Hmm? 
Yeah, he became ill. Well, yeah. again, again, take, take this is the early 1900s, so anyone was dying from like a cough or like drinking water. Drinking water can make you shit really bad back then. Yeah, we, so filtration systems and you know yeah also bathing right. and like soap even the thing soap was around probably but still I'm not, you know, they made cold press soap I'm, I'm pretty sure I mean but, the I mean, Nazis did make for? soap out of Jews of human fat yeah hmm. everybody's so I mean, look we're, we're not even in part two yet we're already sliding in some of the fun stuff um so no 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 so when Carl was left in charge, he had seven men with him to operate the company. But as soon as World War I broke out, the, the workforce was about 30. But Carl went out to fight in World War I, you know, because World War I was a, was a war about noble gentlemen and all that other bullshit. Because it's interesting because a lot of the generals were literally princes and lords and dukes, unlike today. We're not going to talk about World War One here because that's a lot more. But what? Nothing. So when Carl went off to the war, uh, his wife, Alberga, took over the company. She established herself as a fiercely disciplinarian, a very co complete contrast to her husband, who was a more laid back, chill kind of style to the business. Under Wahlberger, the lead, uh, Wahlberger's leadership, the company acquired a very lucrative contract with the Kaiser to make special vehicles for the army. So basically, they were producing cars for World War One, and again, making more money out of that out of that situation. By the end of the war, Karl Mengele, as in the company, returned to its normal production of farming machinery. But by the end of the nineteen, well, by the nineteen twenties, the company had become the third largest uh, company in Germany. This was achieved because Karl Mengele took advantage of the post-war revival programs. So basically, he put himself in a good position and kept making more fucking money. The company doesn't exist anymore. It was absorbed is, by know. a Dutch company in two thousand ten. So. And that's cool, but can we appreciate and the his wife? The wife really was quick. more of was the, the hustle right there because he was so chill. Well, if her, that was the wife. If her name was Wilda Burger, bro, I probably would have <laughs> well, probably would have hurt myself. Um, yeah, Will Burger, she was put she Will Burger was putting in work in the machines. That's why she was successful. <laughs> hey, hey, y'all get back to work. Um, you know, but let's respect the hustle real quick. Burning down yeah. his own factories to get a bag. Yeah. Not confirmed to anybody. His, his associate gets um, sick. And it, Mysterious. Gets mm, sick. 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 I feel bad for him. He gets sick. All right. Um, And then the war happens. And then thing, you know, he's just a bag chaser. So what are we hating on him for? The episode's over. Well, this is still the dad. We haven't gotten to... <laughs> It's because we don't even need to put the episode, put the episode title ten minutes, best businessman with greatest son in history. That should be the title. That should actually be the title, bro. That shouldn't. It shouldn't be Joseph Mengele. Please put that as the fucking title. Point one, Joseph Mengele, best businessman in history. <laughs> That's gotta be the fucking title, bro. Okay, okay, okay. I'm gonna make a note of that. I'll make it. Oh, I'm gonna rehear this when I'm editing it, so I'll see. I'll remember. 
Yeah, we'll come back to this point in now. Time. Uh, young Joseph <laughs> was expected to take over the company at some point and continue the Mengele family dynasty. But Joseph's dreams uh, were far beyond the factories and boardrooms of young of little Gunsberg. A friend from Joseph from school said that Joseph was a very ambitious young man with a great need to succeed. He wanted to establish his fame separated from that already established from his family. He did not want to succeed, but to stand out from the crowd. It was his passion for fame. He once told me one day, I will read the name of Joseph Mengele in the encyclopedias. It's also very interesting to add that Joseph Mengele was an arrogant asshole. He was very arrogant. And you know, define arrogance. Because define so my thing, this is know. my this is my theory. My theory with how his arrogance kind of worked, it came in two stages. One, being the rich kid. So growing up, rich kid, mm-hmm. small town, his family basically controlled Gunsberg. Little arrogant little asshole right there. But then once he be- joins the once he joins the Nazi party, and he has his f- he he's one of the few SS doctors who actually sees combat and wins two Iron Cross, which sets him aside from everybody oh. else. So when he's sent to Auschwitz, he's also God. the big shit over there because he's seen battle. So his arrogance even grows even further once he gets to Auschwitz, which is one another thing. A lot of the people that uh, worked with him said that he was kind of like his personality was that of a reptile, but he was extremely arrogant. And yeah, I mean, personally, like, you know, if my dad was the best businessman ever, ever, okay, I'm I'm arrogant too. What's up? Are we sure we're talking about uh, Kamala Bengala or Donald Trump? Another great businessman. Oh, shit. Hey, hey, just rename this episode. We're not even talking about him. We're not even talking about him. We're talking about the best businessmen in 2020. From 1900, from the 1900s to 2023. Uh, in today's episode, we take a look. It's throwing Jeff Bezos, uh, Jeffrey <laughs> He sure did. He knew what to do with his money. <laughs> You ever seen Survivor? <laughs> That's what the rest of his people went into when he got caught. Survivor mode. They went back on that island and they said, uh, wipe it all. <laughs> I'm sorry, little boy, you're free now. <laughs> and by freedom, we're gonna shoot you. <laughs> go ahead. Go to the go to the beach, buddy. There's a bu- it, it, it is. Just keep walking. Just keep just keep walking. It's gonna be okay. And they never come back. It's okay, buddy. Uh, You're with the other kids. No, let me stop. All right, let's go. And so Joseph was even more dri- uh, driven and determined to have a more successful career in life, uh, specifically because he had two younger brothers, and one of them was named Cal, and the other one was named Alois. See, little second Cal Mangala and Alois Mangala. And there was a particular, you know, brother brother rivalry between Joseph and Carl because there was just sixteen month difference between each one of them. So Wolberga wanted to get that freak on really bad as soon as she popped up. Joseph, he said, "My my Badusi is back." 
Carl. He came up to Carl. She's like, I've been working in the field of that party back at me, boy. No, don't do that spit bath I was going to give you. You're going to give it to me nice and sweaty. <laughs> and Carl was just sitting in the corner like, yeah, mama, I'm good. <laughs> Darling, you want to? <laughs> you want to spunk out? <laughs> <laughs> Where's a gag? <laughs> so we're going to hell. <laughs> uh, even though there was like a sibling rivalry for like a good amount of time, as they as they started to grow up, you know, they 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 kind of got closer as siblings, as often happens. But you know, it's talking about a little bit about the Mengele family household. Again, as I said, we're gonna go deep into this man's Badusi because it's all about the context to understand the serial killer. So in the household, it wasn't very loving. Love was not like a predominant thing that like moved the family. It was just respect. Um especially Wilberga. Well Berga really commanded respect and discipline in that household. Um because uh, even though Joseph said that his father was kind of like a cold figure within the family, but his mother was not much better at loving. But she dad. was better at getting the dick. I your mom. I'm your dad. <laughs> they call me Willie. <laughs> it would be Wally. <laughs> they call me Wally West. <laughs> no. Now we're going to go into the flash. Can you imagine if we segued right now? Sight got all you. <laughs> Surprise, you guys. We're actually going to talk about um, The Flash for the next two hours. <laughs> for the next five episodes, it's just The Flash <laughs> defending Ezra Miller. <laughs> what do you mean he choked her? Uh, he what, do you mean? what do you mean? He, he was just her caressing. Right he was just caressing her. Yeah, he loves his fans. He wanted and to honestly, check her pulse. He's he's watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. He knows how to be a doctor. <laughs> Jose, if you watch the video clip, he's just helping her to the ground. Is it? And then the other fan that he kidnapped <laughs> says she didn't want to go. Hey, hey, that's been proven that that was fake. That was fake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, my fault. Yeah, fake. <laughs> So, all right, we're back on. It's like we lied to y'all again. We're back on. We're back on Joseph. So, to his friends and family, young Joseph was known as Beppo. Buca? No, just Beppo. Not Buca. Buca to Beppo. It's an Italian restaurant. Is it? Where is it? Somewhere nearby. Okay. Well, we'll go there one day in our hopes and dreams. Riding a magical unicorn. Or the unicorn will be riding us. I, I think it's actually, I think I think it's realistic. I think there's one in Nashville. Oh, really? For anybody that's going to try to maybe take advantage of us, because you know that we live in Nashville. I was just kidding. We actually live in South Texas. <laughs> We're actually in the heart of Florida, right next to Ron DeSantis' house. Yeah. We're camping exactly. out here. So if you want to find us and try to kidnap us, that's where we'll be. Definitely not Nashville. <laughs> So, as a gifted child, uh, as a gifted uh, Joseph was basically like a smart child. He was considered to be bright, brighter than his two younger brothers, and he was kind of always towards the near of the top of his class. 
Um, which is very interesting also because throughout his entire career to become a doctor, Joseph was always considered to be average. He wasn't considered to be any special. He his his theses were all right. They weren't great. So he was okay. He be, he'll never be as good as his father. <laughs> Great businessman. So, since his family had a very strict Catholic upbringing, this began to cre create a sort of cynical contempt of young Joseph towards the church and religion. But he still took part in some of the religious activities in the community, especially he took part in community activities. Uh, he joined in the Red Cross. Uh, he joined the Grausdoscher Jugendung. Uh, that was actually, if you didn't know, Jose was restyling in German. Yeah, I was. That was German rap. Um, that was the patriotic youth group of the time. Uh, in April of 1930, he passed his abature, the high school exams, and with a promising but not great grade. You know, as I said, average. At first, Joseph wanted to be a dentist, which is, you know, not terrifying or signs of a sociopath at all. But yeah, he wanted to be a dentist because apparently in Gunzburg, there was no dentist. And he thought it would be a very lucrative career. If he became the town's only dentist, which again, the hustle. Little did he, I mean, it's genetic. It's genetic. Like their their blood, their hemoglobin should look like dollar signs. Uh, is our whole bit gonna be about Mengele being a businessman, especially when he starts dealing with the twins in Auschwitz? Yeah, because how do we know? Okay, okay. Hear me out. All right. How do we know? And we know he's just not doing us a favor. What if they're not bag chasers? We don't want bag chasers. We do not want non-bag chasers. So in he was this trying world. to create more bag chasers by having finding the secret of twins. You're gonna have to actually edit that out. I can feel like no, I'm gonna keep that. I think you're gonna have to edit that out because I'm I feel gonna like keep... in 20 years, if this became popular, they're gonna play this episode and cancel the both of us. I'm gonna keep it so hard, dear God. If y'all are sensitive in 20 years, that. Would Weird joke. <laughs> I want to clarify this. Okay. And don't, when you guys send this to get me canceled, after all the stuff I've said, at least put the full clip where I know y'all were going to cancel me. Go ahead. Continue. <laughs> so... Like I said, Joseph wanted to be a dentist, but, you know, that didn't kind of work out. He decided to go into medicine with an emphasis in anthropology, with another focus in human genetics. I also had to kind of, like, add that during the, the – there's kind of more background context because there was a movement in eugenics growing around this time. So there was a big interest in human genes, human DNA, human splicing, creating the perfect human, all this bullshit was already in the mindset of the psychites at the time. And then it was slowly spewing its way into universities, which is what happened in Germany. Um, so he did. He decided to go uh, to study uh, a wide range of the, into the field of medicine. In that same year, his younger brother Alois, who was sixteen at the time, decided to become to join the family business, and Carl went to study law. 
But I think Carl ended up working in the company at one point. I think. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. So, in October 1930, uh, Joseph Mengele left his family home and traveled east towards the Bavarian capital of Munich. At the same time, Munich was was becoming a toxic cesspool of racist doctrine that were being promoted by one man called Adolf Hitler and his National Socialist German Party, Workers' Party. Uh, Joseph enrolled in at the Munich University as a student of philosophy. When I read this, I, I kind of like brought back memories of Full Metal Alchemist, the movie, the 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 Conquest of Shambhala. Did you saw it? I it basically takes place. It takes place during this during this mess. I never seen Full Metal Alchemist. I just know where it's at. Well, Full well, Metal okay. Alchemist. I I only seen like the first couple episodes and then I forget and then I, I don't I don't keep up with it. Hey, what do we need to keep up for when we're getting our business degree for free? <laughs> so, it's all about the hustle in the bag. Oh shit! Your tragic story is since I'm handicapped, I'll die first. You can market yeah. that. Yeah, that was kind of my plan. You know what I'm saying? Like you can market that. Once you die, I was gonna keep your body, uh, dry it up, put it in a corner, and then when we start, when the podcast starts going on tour, I was gonna bring you with me. Okay. And then you put a voice box on you, so it loops some of your greatest hits. Oh, so with AI, if you just if you even just take my crippled nasally voice and put it in there. You yeah. basically just make you say yeah, whatever that... you wanted to say. Yeah, that was kind of the plan. That was kind of my plan. Hey, they could pin me for, you know, let somebody that was in jail for murder, let them get out. Say it was me. It would make it interesting. Yeah. It would. We'll write that down. We'll write that down. We'll write that down. So, as I said, Joseph enrolled in the University of Munich, a studio in philosophy. But at the same time, uh, the Nazi party had become the second largest party in German parliament. In his autobiography, Mengele wrote about his early impressions of the Nazi movements that that the attraction it was having on him. Uh, as I said in a quote, the students of the university, those who had already reached the voting age, had contributed to this success, the Nazi success. I was not old enough then to vote. My political leanings that then were, I think, of for reasons of family and tradition, national conservative. I had not joined any political organizations. Though I indeed was strongly attracted to the program that the whole organization of the National Socialist, but for the time being, I remained an unorganized private citizen. But in the long run, it was impossible to stand aside these political stirring times should our fatherland not succumb to the Marxist Bolshevik attack. This simple political concept finally became the decisive factor in my life. Basically, fun fact, Joseph didn't give two shits about the Nazis for like six or seven years, and then he joined because he had to. It was it was about the hustle. Genetics. Genetics. It was about the hustle. Oh, by the way. That's by it. The it way, was about the hustle. Hey, don't ever do that voice again. There was Italian, Spanish, and a slight bit German in there. <laughs> I mean, it's I can't control it. I can't control it. It just happens. I, it's it's the I, it's the many demons that the live ones within that me. They're like my turn, my turn, girl. No me. Molto bene. I want to talk next. So yeah, it just it just can't control itself. 
Uh, Karl Mengele, actually, the father, decided to join the Nazi party in, by 1931. Uh, it, again, like I said, it was all about the hustle. I was going to say, it had to have been about the bag. I don't believe Karl it, would just join you know, for free skis. No, he he was most he was just doing it because joining them would have been more profitable. They were a growing party. They were assuming control of the country. You know, the closer he was to Hitler, the better it would be lucrative for him. Which also okay. it kind of helped because um Karl was friends with the regional party, the regional Nazi party of Gunsberg, some dude named Georg Dunsdorf. And because of him, Karl got a seat. In the count in the town council, you know the bank, all about the hustle, oh. and then because of that, it paved the way for Adolf Hitler to come to Gunzburg to speak at the Mengele factory and sit next to Karl Mengele. Perfect. And you know, I'm pretty sure that he didn't dislike the uh, my beautiful Jewish community. I'm... Oh yeah, they did. Sorry to burst that bubble, but they were hardcore anti-Semites. And then they became hardcore anti-American. Maybe they're possessing Kanye. Maybe that's where we're at right now. <laughs> oh my god. That's what's what? going on with Kanye. Kanye is about a bag. Family? And then he said anti-Semitic stuff. Not cool. I think that's it. Okay. Okay. So... In Munich, Joseph was taking courses in anthropology, paleontology, and medicine. He was showing signs of interest of in cultural origins and the development of man rather than curing disabilities. Again, this was all part of the pop culture of the time. Um, to pinpoint exactly what caused young Joseph's mind to bring uh, about the corruptive downfall that we will eventually get to, it's not really easy to just say, oh, it was this or it was that. Like I said, studying the life of Joseph Mengele as a serial killer is very interesting because you can't really say what was that moment that made him snap. You know, he was already being nurtured with these philosophies of like, you know, some lives are better than others because it was the talk of the time. You know, it could have been a contributing factors which led to this eventual downfall of, of uh, or at least, yeah, we can call it that, whatever. Um, you know, he was there was interest in genetics and the evolution of what happened when you were crossing paths with the politics of the time. You know, again, those two things were merging together. Uh, at the time, there was a developing concept in which humans who were afflicted by disorders were unfit to produce reproduce life. The The other factor to this is that Mengele not only expo was exposed to these theories while studying in Munich, but also later in Frankfurt, uh, he was also exposed to the leading studies of the unworthy life theory, which became like the Nazi, the Nazi motto for life. Um yeah, yeah. I don't we do a lot of hand gestures and I forget that people can't really see when we do the hand gestures in the recording. They can see our hand gestures for twenty four ninety nine. Uh tax on the fees may apply. Jose that's and Jose our, our, Thank you. Is that our is that our OnlyFans? That'll be our OnlyFans. Okay. Okay. So uh, I will give like a little explanation on the what the whole unworthy life theory. Just just super brief and quickly. So it was like Nazi designation for uh, several people within the population in which had no right to live. 
these included people who were uh, disabled, they were Jews, they were Romani, homosexuals, alcoholics, depressives, manic depressives, uh, bipolars, you know, all the fun stuff. Gingers. Gingers were also no good. I think. Or Gingers came, came later, no good. One of those. Um, so yeah, uh, the, the the also thing um, is that during this time, because of this theory, it allowed the Nazis the freedom to kill these people just because. No questions asked. This was way before the concentration camps even happened because we had roaming bands of like seven men inside of a car driving throughout the countryside of Germany and Poland and all these places and just getting out, shooting someone, getting back in and going. This was completely normal. Or they would show up to your house where you were eating dinner with your family, shoot you right there in the middle of dinner and then walk out. Completely normal. I mean, something slight. You know, they were just on the kill streak. So, the notion that some lives were not were not worthy of living soon too soon to became accidentally. Uh, well, let me correct myself. The notion that some lives uh, were not worthy became academically respected. May uh, may explain why ten years later, Mengele experimented on concentration camp inmates as though they were laboratory rats. Uh, Professor Hans Grebel said about Mengele, there was nothing to his personality to suggest that he would do what he did. Again, like I said, there's no exact way to pinpoint what was the snap. Uh, one of Mengele's earliest educational influence was Dr. Hans Rubin, who along with Dr. Alfred Hutch and Dr. Karl Binden, they were all the leading proponents of the theory that doctors should be allowed to destroy life that is devoid of value. You know, brilliant, brilliant medical thinking right there. Isn't that basically what they're kind of doing with you? When they're not giving you your medicines? Yes. <laughs> Wait, I'm confused. <laughs> Rudin himself was one of the architects of Hitler's compulsory sterilization laws. These laws were enacted in 1933, just seven months after Hitler came into power. The law of protection and hereditary health established that the mental and physical conditions that qualify for compulsory, compulsory sterilization, which were the feeble-mindedness, schizophrenia, manic depressive, epilepsy, hereditary blindness, deafness, physical deformities, Huntington disease, and alcoholism. Any of those will get you automatically sterilized, so no babies from you. Okay. Uh, the fact that there were always a series of escalating genocidal programs, first the euthanasia or mercy killings for the uh, in, incurable insane, then the mass killings of the people, of the, not, the Nazis judged to be biologically inferior, such as Romani, Slavs, Jews. Finally, we have the die... The fuck. Let me see if I can pronounce it correctly. The Die Endlösung, also known as the Final Solution, Hitler's cover name for his plans to exterminate the Jews of all of Europe. So basically, all of this was just escalating. You know, everything was just slowly escalating to get to the point of we're just going to collectively kill everybody. And that's it. Racist theory, race. Yeah. That's yeah. 
In the early 19th, in early months of 1934, Joseph Mengele's time was consumed increasingly with his studies. It was his ambition and drive that led him to work for a doctorate in anthropology, while at the same time striving to qualify as a doctor in medicine. By October that same year, his part-time paramilitary activities came to a stop when he got sick from a kidney disease, and it forced him to leave the unit, or the brown shirts. Mengele had been automatically transferred to the brown shirts in January of 1934 after Hitler ordered that the, the unit be absorbed uh, into the Stelthamt. Uh Well, Joseph Pryor youth program was joined into the brown shirts. His illness left him weak and he decided to devote all his energy to studying. The man who gave Mengele his first leg into the academic ladder was Professor T. Mullison of the University of Munich. His expertise in the field of hereditary and quote-unquote racial hygiene led Mullison to claim that he could tell if a person had Jewish ancestors by simply looking at a photograph. Which, by the way, if you looked at me, you didn't know I, I have 2% Jewish. I do that. Oh well, yeah, because I, I once I took my DNA test, I, I couldn't shut the fuck up. No, it's about not that. that. But I, yeah, I you know, literally saw your, I saw your draw. Oh really? You did? Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Does this scream Lachaim yeah, to you? Okay, cool. There we go. Um, <laughs> in 1935, Mengele was awarded his PhD for the thesis, and he wrote they called was called Radical Morphological Research of the Lower Jaw Section for Four Racial Groups. It was a meticulously illustrated dissection and it was concluded that it was possible to detect different racial groups by studying the jaw. So basically what you just said, that was his, his thing. You, you could tell what someone, whether someone was Jewish, black or whatever, by the yeah, jawbone. I mean, and that's something slight. Like he didn't really invent that. Uh, my, my pa did. So. No, your pa did in yeah. his hustle? I don't like. I, he learned from Carl. It's all so, about the hustle. Dollar sign. He went to that. He went to that Mengele school of hustling. He definitely <laughs> went there. He didn't come out. <laughs> In the summer of 1936, Mengele took his uh, took his state medical exam. Uh, in Munich, once he passed, he quickly found a job working in the uh, working Lisbrick at the University Medical Clinic. Uh, the work was hard, and he stayed. And you know, it was very an uneventful stay for him. The only exciting thing that happened during this time was that uh, Mengele met the uh, university's daughter, uh, university professor's daughter, by the name of Irene Sochenbing, who will later become his first wife. Uh. I don't remember who who was whose or if it was theirs, but apparently they were each other's or she was his greatest love or something like that. It was it was kind of cute. It was kind of cute. It was like Nazi yeah, Nazi romance. Yeah. Uh, it's important to know that despite Mengele's passion for medicine and science, his first and only real love was Irene. Irene at the time was just 19 when they met, and she soon found herself splitting her time between studying art history in Florence and spending time with a handsome, young academic. Mengele was so in love with Irene that he was that he was sort of seeing his this Norwegian girl at the same time, but he kind of ended it quickly just to be with Irene. 
Also, Mengele was a fucking player. Um, yeah, because his daddy is about a bag. He was about a bag. So, how could you not? So for the for the for the time, Mengele was considered hot, even though he had like a very huge pronounced gap uh, gap between his two front teeth. But besides that, yeah, like it was it was very pronounced. Like it was one of the fact it was one of the reasons why certain people were able to identify him later on when during the escape. It was because of the gap teeth. But because despite that, people who knew him still referred to him as pretty, you know, damn hot. For the time, he he kind of looked like Desi Arnaz. Um, have you seen I Love Lucy? No. God, I'm sure my age, or at least my gay re- gay references, but yeah, he kind of looked like Desi Arnaz. Oh, look at like a Nazi Desi Arnaz. Oh. Look him up, and you kind of will see. It kind of looks like if you put a picture of Desi and you put a picture of Mangala, and you kind of like squint a little bit, it kind of looks like the okay. same person, kind of. Yeah. Okay. So Mengele, uh, Mengele's time as a doctor didn't didn't did not really vibe with him. The soxing hours, the endless ward rounds, were not to his liking. He was eager and anxious to get back to his study of genetics. And on January first of nineteen thirty seven, after the recommendation from Professor Mullison, Mengele was appointed a research assistant at the prestigious Third Reich Institute of Hereditary Biology or Racial Purity at the University of. Frankfurt. Basically bullshit fucking science. That's fucking insane. Okay. It's bullshit science. That's all all of Nazi Germany's science at the time was all bullshit. And the thing was that Hitler knew that all his crazy occult conspiratorial beliefs needed to be backed up by science in order for it to be considered to be acceptable by society so all of this bullshit was backed up by even more crazy bullshit science that has no actual proof in legit science and again this bullshit is being brought to this day you're a scientist are you a scientist damn it you got me there i'm not (laughs) (laughs) oh shit well i take it back now God damn it! My my entire rant just like now you might have to believe it. I gotta, I gotta now. I take it back now. I take it back now. The white people are superior. <laughs> so he joined the staff of one of Europe's most four most important geneticists at the time. This this was the his this man was called Professor Atmod Franz van der Schur. I've heard this name Professor, so many Professor fucking times. Was dedicated. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's Professor Admund Freyer von der Verschau. Professor I've heard von der Verschau. We got it. I've heard this motherfucker's name so many times during this entire process that he is the one name that I can pronounce correctly. You want to know why you can? Because he was why? dedicated most of his time to the research of twins. He was also an outspoken admirer of Adolf Hitler, paying yeah. tribute to him publicly for being the first statement to recognize hereditary biology and race hygiene. Bullshit science. Bullshit no, science. Hear me out because you're not a scientist. <laughs> race hygiene. 
what, what does regular hygiene mean? It means you're getting clean. What they're doing is they're cleaning the genetics from, you know, all the impurities. Like a strainer, they're getting it out of there. Black. That also includes you. Duh. Crippled. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The gays are gone. Bye. The mental health, they're gone, bro. Imagine. Bye. Who's to say? Look. They're a strainer. Either are they doing here. us a favor? They might. They might be. You're gonna need to edit that out. Oh no, I'm keeping that in. I'm keeping that in. So I don't know if it's a good idea or not. So two years prior to this, Van Bershaw had defined the Institute's role for being responsible for ensuring that the care of genes and race, which Germany is the leading leading in worldwide has such a strong basis that it will withstand any attacks from the outside. It's kind of clear that von Verschur was a major influence in Mengele's life, and it's clear that it was because of his influence Mengele will later be appointed to Auschwitz. So von Verschur basically hustled from the back and got Mengi the job in the camp. Wow. Again, all about the hustle. All about the hustle here. Let me let me read this page. What, what part are you at? Uh... During the war. It says during the war, von Verschor was the wartime director of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Anthropology, Human Hereditary Teaching, and Genetics in Berlin. He secured funds for Mengel's experiments at Auschwitz. This was also the same institution which Mengel was sending all the findings of his experiments while at the camp, but more on that. We're going to focus on that later. That's more of a part two. That's more of a part two. Yeah. Well, right now, it's getting to there. We're going to hit you with something slight. Um, You know that, that, that thing in school where they tell you to read a sentence back and forth? Meh. Your turn. <laughs> so... In May of 1937, Mengele had submitted his application and was issued the membership of uh, the membership number of 5574974 as a paid member of the Nazi Party and with the support of, Ver of Baron von Verschur, a rapid ride within a rapid rise, I'm sorry, within the Nazi academic hierarchy was now assured. Mengele and von Verschur were working together, writing judicial reports, especially convened courts which sat on judgments over Jews caught cohabiting with, with German Aryans. Under the Nuremberg Laws of 1935, it was an offense for Germans to marry Jews. The purpose of the law being uh, to prevent racial interbreeding, proving cases of sexual intercourses, and this Reichenhahn, or race-defined process, carried the jail sentence, sometimes even death. Um, in a case that both Mengele and von Verschur were sought after uh, because of the, uh, a man whose father was Jewish was charged with having an affair with a German woman. The lawyer doing the trial said that the birth of this man was a product of an illegitimate affair in which the man's mother was a Christian woman with no Jewish blood in her. With that present, both men had to examine the man, his ears, nose, and other facial features, only to declare that the indeed his father was Jewish. The court did agree with the man, uh, the, and two anthrop uh, anthropologists made complaints about the verdicts. 
they both uh both claim okay let me explain this better because i just i'm just noticing how i wrote this weird so this dude this lawyer was claiming that this man was not jewish but he was the product of an affair so technically it doesn't count but then these two were saying that he was jewish based on his nose his face and some other shit but then the court was saying okay he's not jewish and then these two got pissed because they're respectable doctors and they were saying we doctors know what we're saying and this man jewish in the story that's the whole that's the whole that's the whole bit right there we're tracking i actually got yeah. that without you having to explain it which was kind of crazy <laughs> and there's a, there's a bunch more a whole bunch more of that same bullshit happening uh but a bunch of other cases like that too so it was during this time in frankfurt institute that mangala began to embrace the idea that through certain selections that the heritage of a race could be improved this method of thinking would later be implemented implemented in the ramps of Auschwitz when the guards determine who would live and who would die. Professor von Bouchure thought they, uh, very highly of Mengele, and he even named him his, assist, his assistant physician. With this appointment, it effectively qualified him as a doctor, even if he had yet to receive the degree. This uh, Mengele, at the age of 27, had made some very powerful connections with the most important doctors and ideologists of the Third Reich. It was a no-brainer that Mengele should apply to join an, uh, to an organization. There was uh, the projection of the image of safeguarding the nation's racial purity. Leading this was the dreaded SS or the Schussenfaffen. It was during this time Mengele also joined the NS, uh, what the fuck was uh, the NS Arsenbund, the Physicians Association, a vital group of any Nazi doctor. In May of 1938, the SS conducted their gen generational background check on Mengele going back four generations to ensure that no Jewish blood was present. With that, he was admitted into the SS. It's also very interesting the fact to know that Mengele, for being a, 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 a hardcore believer in the Aryan bullshit, he wasn't blonde. He was actually uh, kind, kind of short, but not super short. And he had very dark features, like brown eyes, black hair, that gap teeth. He looked Slavic. He looked more Slavic than Aryan. So it was also like a, a thing that bothered him, too. He was very self-conscious about his looks. Uh, as a, the membership with it, when an elite group, elite group like the SS was important for Mengele, he preferred an academic career over the medical one. He joined the Third Reich Institute, later uh, the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. Uh, both institutions were leading in the fields of eugenics. He went off to join the Waffen SS, an even more elite group within the SS. And, and again, the hustle. It's all about the hustle here. He's hustling. Yes. He's hustling. Every time that he wants to give up or he's like, maybe this isn't right, he's like, what would dad do? And, and dad is like, we hustle. We get the bread. Okay. So in July of 1930 at the Frankfurt Institute, uh, the Frankfurt University awarded Mengele with his medical degree. Uh, with this, he was officially, became, officially became a licensed practitioner of medicine. So he was a doctor at last. Uh, doctor uh, Mengele was determined to be accepted into the SS unit uh, that same October he began a three month basic training with the Reichmark the German regular army 
this was a prerequisite in order to join more elite fighting forces. Once training had concluded, he in ordered uh, he in order to join. Once he had concluded, he returned back to Frankfurt Institute and continued his research alongside Professor von Mershaw. During his time at the Institute, Mengele published research paper on the inheritance of the ear's fistula. He claimed that the tiny holes in the ear could have some link with indentations in the chin. It doesn't. Experts who have read this paper call it dull, but scientific. It's just, and the way he expressed it sounds scientific, but there's really nothing there. Uh, Mengele made a comment in 1940 on one book entitled Fundamentals in Genetics and Race Care. He emphasized his total conviction of the superiority of the German race. And I quote, The last chapter explains the biology dangers that threatens the German people. When discussing the races, it would have been desirable if a clear analysis of the merits of and unfavorable futures, features of all European races had been made. I also miss an inadequate description of the relationships between the principal races that are also to be found in Germany and the culture's achievements of the German people. Also, there would have been sense, more sense in explaining the contacts rather than the producial axpis aspects of the law of prevention of the hereditary disease offsprings and the projecting of the hereditary health of the German nation, end quote. Mengele, by this point, had been entirely influenced by the influence of the National Socialism. He had become the poster child of the Nazi. He was a pick-me girl for the Nazis. And especially, he was extremely influenced by the view, their views on human genetics, which is very important very important to hear. Mengele was convinced that with his research, he was going to serve a great cause. And in 1938, Mengele married Irene. There was a wedding, a Nazi wedding. The wedding took place after, uh, in a t uh, after a tiny little hiccup. It was just tiny, a little, a little, a little bumpy in the road. During the submissions to the Reisen und Slieden Lugen Hafenkampf, I got it, I got it, which is also the central office of race and resettlement to satisfy the SS, there was no trace of Jewish blood in her family's lineage. Doubts and concerns were raised about her grandfather. So basically, the whole story is this: in order for them to be approved and join this super prestigious book by Himmler that, that were only the most exclusive, exclusive of the Nazi people could join. They had to uh, submit proof going back four generations that none of the these family members had any Jewish blood. If they did that, they were good to go. Super good to go. The problem was that with her... They couldn't find, she couldn't, she didn't know who her great grandfather was. Oh, I think all they found was that he was some sort of like American diplomat or something like that. And because of that, because of the lack of information they had on him, they just quickly assume he's Jewish. Point period, that's it. That's, that's Jewish. So, the any expert, hmm? yeah, just logical. So, even an even further deep investigation was launched into her family. Uh, where a bunch of neighbors wrote letters and a bunch of other people wrote letters Logical. talking about how very Nordic 
the family was uh, and their very Aryan, very white ways, you know. So emphasizing that the family indeed was very pure. Um, because of this, because of this little bump, they they didn't include Mengele and Irene in the book, in the in the in the kinship book, because of this, and because of that, they couldn't get the special gifts from Himmler every time they had a baby. Because every time you had a baby, a pure little white little Aryan baby, you will get some swords and silver spoons delivered from Himmler, and thank you note from having a white baby. So be oh, and see again if. You know, with his dad dating back, you know, obviously his wife doesn't have that same drive. Yeah. I would just divorce her. I'm saying silver spoons cost a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and a sword. You know, a I'm, sword. Yeah, to protect the family. Yeah. You know, and there was guns back then, though. But um, I, I think that's yeah. it. Just make me a silver gun yeah. instead of a silver sword. I agree. So five weeks after the Mengele said their I do's, war broke out. We officially... Launch World War II. No, that's Twilight Zone. Uh, Mengele was very pleased with the, with his news, and he couldn't wait to be called up to to do his duty as a soldier. Mengele wrote about the war, lest the last desperate fight for the German nation for its endangered existence. But due to his kidney illness. Um, he was had to wait until the summer of 1940 for his first posting as a medical officer in a, in the regular army unit at Kassel. Uh, this only lasted about a month. By August, he had achieved the rank of Unterstumperfuhr, or uh, uh, something like a lieutenant, a sub-lieutenant. He, he joined the Waffen-SS. Uh, Mengele did not see actual battle until 1941 when he was posted in Ukraine. After a few days, he was awarded the Iron Cross Second Class. So, you know, here he goes, being an overachiever. First class, his dad wouldn't personally like, his dad wouldn't have accepted second. It probably would have been first. Yeah. But, but, he does get first class, though. But it's... Okay, then his dad will be proud. Yeah, that will be a proud. So the the month before before his post in Ukraine, Mengele was busy occupied in in occupied Poland, where he was working in the genealogical section of the race resettlement office, under the direction orders from Himmler. Teams of SS doctors were assigned to examine racial suitability uh, of the for those who were in the inhabited newly occupied territories basically they were um checking who within the people of poland looked aryan enough to keep them in their homes and shit and if you did not look aryan enough you were sent off to the ghettos that's it that was it i mean what what, Never what? Mind. Never mind. are you sure no because i'm trying to save my future later <laughs> <laughs> so Mengele joined the medical corps of the Waffen-SS, the Viking division in, in January of 1942 uh, this unit eventually penetrated further into Soviet territory than any other German unit we're not going to get into how they did this using a lot of math 
just a lot, a lot of mass. What do you think Captain America was injected with? Mass. You know. There was there was a lot of meth in this war, but that's another topic for another day. Uh, around July, the Viking division was moved up to the front to engage in the battlement, uh, the battle for. Oh shit! This is not the correct word. I'm pretty sure the the this word was all messed up. Um, I think it's supposed to be Rostenbastasik, oh Rostenbastatsk, whatever. The document oh, fucked up the word. <laughs> a point is, uh, they moved out to a battle. So this battle lasted five bloody days. It was during this conflict that Mengele won his first, and he won his first Iron Cross first class. He rescued two wounded soldiers out of a burning tank yeah. under enemy fire in the battlefield and gave them medical first aid. He probably gave them the tongue though. <laughs> It was like I'm here. And a shot of he came up to him. It's like I'm here to do my part for the German country. <laughs> this will be your last one. <laughs> I need to preserve the future of the Aryan race. <laughs> yeah, hold on. <laughs> just like just been in a <laughs> That's terrible. Uh, he was also awarded the black badge for the wounded and the medical. Oh, he's gotta get rid of that badge. It said it was black. <laughs> and the medal and the medal for the care of the German people. Towards the end of 1942, Mengele uh was posted back to the uh to the race and resettlement office. This time in the headquarters in Berlin. It is believed that because of the places Mengele was working and the close relationship he had developed with such high prominent figures within the Nazi party, it could it's believed that Mengele may have had some knowledge into the final solution at his early stages. So he probably knew something, you know, some whisper of what Hitler eventually wanted to do, or what those early what those scientists close to Hitler were whispering to him of what to do with, you know, the Jew problem. It is possible that as a result of discovering the vast amount of human material available for experiments at Auschwitz, Mengele once, Mengele once in Berlin did all he could to secure a posting there at Auschwitz. It could also be possible that he got a little help from his mentor and colleague, Professor von Verschor, whose guiding hand was certainly behind his transfer from the Russian front back to Berlin. Now we gotta sidestep just a little bit and introduce another character in our store in our story, a last one. Dr. Benner Mueller Hill of the Cologne University had access to Dr. Von Verschur's private papers. And it's without doubt that Professor Von Verschur was one of the was the one who persuaded Mengele to take his first less take his next big step in his life. I will almost bet it was von Verschur who talked to him into going to Auschwitz, Mueller-Hill said. He would have said, there's a big opportunity for science there. Many raves there. Many people. Why don't you go? It is an interest for science. After Mengele transferred to Berlin, he was promoted to the rank of Hamstenführer, or captain. In May of 1943, the posting came. By the end of May, Mengele had arrived at the vast barbed wire enclosure 
in a swampy valley an hour's drive from Krakow in southern Poland. This was Auschwitz. Or to the Germans, who just love to abbreviate everything. The KZ, shorthand for Konzentrationslager, or concentration camp. And with that, we will pick back up for part two of Joseph Mengele, the Auschwitz years. They're doing gang signs, so they can't see you doing that. They can feel it though. They can feel our gangster waste. So yeah, that's, they can't even, they that can't was part even. one. How do you feel about that? I feel good because I finally got to meet a true, a true gangster. You know what I'm saying? He um, he was just a certified bag chaser, and you know that's what he was born mm-hmm. into, and mm-hmm. he couldn't help it. How's uh, he 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 was all about that hustle. It was all about that hustle. He's about. He's about that hustle, um, and you know, I feel like going into episode two, um, you know, I feel like he got off his um, his bag talk a little. Going bit into and... episode two is going to be very interesting because I I might I want to sprinkle a little bit more info into that one. Uh, I don't think they I don't think they can handle that. Oh. I don't think they're ready. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I don't listen to me, Captain. I do not think y'all are ready. It doesn't matter who we are. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, Joseph Mengele, part one. He's our our first big hitter. He's our first act kind of serial killer, actually. So, and guys, you know, with him being our first big serial killer, um, any joke that we make here, we would not make any jokes about episode two like that. Um, just strictly because of the, I I, I personally wouldn't. Um, just for the context, we there. can make jokes so, about the Nazis, not about the Jews. Exactly. Well, just the whole overall of the the camp purposes. It's you know, but yeah, but episode two, episode is two coming is coming soon. I think we record for it next week. We have a schedule. Maybe we don't know. No, we have to. We have a schedule. So we we might. Uh, so yeah I hope you like for part one there's going to be three more two more coming up we don't know yet we'll figure that out and Bart's coming on your way we'll figure that out when we get uh, to that part um, so yeah follow guys really enjoy- oh yeah no go ahead no what were you going to say sorry forgot I'm blind <laughs> uh, oh no I just want to say guys I hope you enjoyed this episode here with us today Obviously, go follow all the socials that are nice in the description. In the show notes. Uh, in the show notes. I say description because I'm a YouTuber. <laughs> um, and tell us what you think. You know what I'm saying? Leave us a little comment. Yeah, actually, Please. they can. There's a way that they can submit a comment and... And we'll respond. I mean, y'all are literally the only 12 people that we have. We will respond. Didn't we say it was 15 and last time? 15. I thought it was actually. 15. On a good day, it's 15. Um, and if you guys, if there's episodes that you guys might want to see, even if your friends or family, you know, either text us or leave it in the comments. We, but I, if did, you guys I, did, any... I did got a good book on human sexual perversions. Jose will be filming <laughs> his first episode by himself. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Hit, hit the socials up and below. Um, and let us know what you think. And then we'll see you guys for part two. All right, you guys. Have a good one. Blessings. Bye. Bye.